my background when I was growing up in Honduras. My father had passed away when I was very, very young, but he had made a, a decision that had been to this day transformational for my mother and I, and that is that he had flipped some land in rural Honduras mm -hmm. and invested that, those proceeds, those cash profits in commercial property in the city of San Pedro, where I'm originally from. That commercial building was basically able to produce cash flow for us, you know, mm. uh, and put me through private school. That's what helped me cover in part, part of my expenses here in college. Have you ever thought of leaving a legacy behind? I never thought of leaving a legacy behind until my business coach asked me. In truth, it was a bit scary to think about legacy. It reminds me of that. Initially, I thought my business is relatively new, so really, why should I think about it? But again, being reminded about that a good thing, it puts my life into perspective on what's really mattered to me. It helps me decide what kind of life I want to live. How do I want to run my business? What values do I carry on in my day-to-day -day dealing with others? And what kind of world I want to help create. I spent years in a career that gave me a great paycheck at the end of the month. I worked so hard to achieve my financial goals and I achieved it all. But for six years, I would sit during Sunday mass at church and wonder, is this my life? That's it? Why it feels so empty? Does my son know that I love him? Because I travel so much. Does he realize I work so hard so he can enjoy trying different sports, go to awesome summer camps, travel to different countries? I know money is important. It's right up there with oxygen, but it's most definitely not the root of happiness. I felt guilty that I think of money similar to oxygen. I didn't know how to balance money to provide for my family and balance it with my own happiness. So when I thought about legacy, I think of my son. I want to be there physically and emotionally for him. I want to inspire. He has the option to be successful outside the nine to five career. There are all these possibilities around him more than ever. At the same time, I want to provide him with financial security to support his dream, whatever it is. I want to make sure I don't leave him behind with a mountain of debt. You're listening to Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for women entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Christina Shahli. If you are new here, welcome. This is a free weekly show where my guests and I take you behind the scenes and into the inner workings of our businesses, sharing the good, the bad, and the truth about the money we have made or lost and recover as entrepreneurs. And all because we want you to see how you can live a freedom lifestyle using the power of finance to build your business dream. I want to remind you again, in March, I will be running a contest and I would love you to vote one of her CEO journey who inspires you the most. Only for those episodes released during the first quarter of 2020. The winner for the most inspirational journey will be announced in April. It will mean so much for me and for my guests to know our conversation helped your journey. 
if you haven't listened to the last few episodes released this year, I want you to head on over to kristinashahli.com right now and hit the subscribe button on your favorite app. This week, I had the pleasure to speak with Michelle Bosch. She is the co-creator of the Land Profit Generator program with over 145,000 followers. She is also the CFO of her own company, Orbit Investments, where she can help others produce large cash profits and passive cash flow to live a financially free and abundant life. Let's find out Michelle's CEO journey and the legacy that her dad left behind. It's about inspiration, love, and financial security. Michelle Bosch, welcome to her CEO journey. Thank you so much for having me, Christina. It's such a pleasure. It's an honor to be here with you. Well, I'm glad you are here today. I mean, I know your journey is a little bit different. You know, you're an immigrant from Honduras, and then Jack, your husband, is an immigrant from Germany. And, you know, you went to school and then you started this business. Can you please share how that journey started? So, like you said, I'm originally from Honduras. I'm an immigrant into the U.S. I came here in 1995 with uh, pretty much two suitcases to my name and a heart full of dreams. I came here to study. You know, my background is in finance. Somehow, when I was growing up, you know, I that was my strength, math, and just very, you know, critical mind and, 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 and an analyst, a constant analyst everywhere, analyzing everything. And so it was a, it was kind of like a logical transition for me to say, okay, I'm going to find a career, you know, in the financial space. We came here, we stu- you know, we went to school, we got jobs and we were able to get our working permits sponsored by our companies yep. and our green cards and so on and so forth. But a few years into it, we realized that we absolutely hated our jobs. And so we were looking for something else to do. You know, in the beginning, we couldn't let go of our jobs because those were our tickets to our green cards. You know, we were like handcuffed, you know? Yep, I know what you mean. um, But we knew that we wanted to do something different. And, you know, based on my, my background, when I was growing up in Honduras, my father had passed away when I was very, very young. But he had made a, a decision that had been, to this day, transformational for my mother and I. And that mm-hmm. is that he had flipped some land in rural Honduras mm-hmm. and invested that those proceeds, those cash profits, in commercial property in the city of San Pedro, where I'm originally from. And it was a commercial building to this day. It still stands to this day. It's still mm-hmm. in the family. And that commercial building was basically able to produce cash flow for us, you know, mm. uh, and put me through private school. That's what helped me, you know, cover in part, part of my expenses here in college. And to this day, you know, it continues to throw out cash flow, you know, for my mother. So we knew that we wanted to do something in real estate. One thing that I want to touch on a little bit, I know in one of your podcasts, you said the key to prosperity is keeping it simple. Can you elaborate in that regard, is that what you mean that that's why you started with land with real estate because you find it like it's just a simple process? Yes. So for us, when we when we started looking into real estate, we started looking at houses because that's what everyone looks at: single family residential homes. Yep. Can we rehab them? Can we flip them? Can we wholesale them? Do we hold notes? You know, there's yep. so many things that come to mind, and what doesn't come to mind to people is land. And it didn't really come to mind for us as well. But what we found out is that here in the U.S., 
there is such a thing as tax liens and tax deeds. Mm-hmm. Basically, where you can you can lose your property to to property taxes. And I remember attending an auction and trying to bid on you know on these properties, and it was so competitive, and it was so and 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 prices went way above you know what we had because we had like three thousand dollars to our name. But in that auction, I was able to meet someone that said to me, you know what, I know that you were bidding on my piece of land, but there was a lady that said, I have another piece of land in a different county. And on that piece of land, she didn't owe any property taxes, but she said, I've owned it for some 30 years and I don't want it anymore, you know? And so uh, I looked it up. I did a little bit of research. I made her an offer for about 60 to 70% of market value and she was able to accept it. And we were able to quickly flip that piece of land. But there's a switch that flip. I'm like, there's something very simple here in that we could do the same that others do with houses. We could do it with land. You know, we can flip it. We don't have to touch it. We don't have to rehab it. It is really this simplification of real estate. It meant going against the grain, you know, in terms of us being contrarian. Everyone is going after houses. We're going after, after land. And as a result of that, we have virtually like zero competition in the marketplace it's like a blue ocean, you know, um, where we have been able to do this in any market cycle. People with that sell, you know, that sell their land and that buy their land have a much more long-term horizon and perspective, yeah, you know, definitely. and we focus uh, exclusively on three types of land. We focus on, you know, land on the outskirts of cities. We, we also focus on in the city infill lots, basically where our exit would be buyers. And we also do recreational properties like larger mm-hmm. acreage, out in the woods, for example, mm-hmm. where people want to have a cabin or bring their RV or go camping mm-hmm. or go ride their ATVs or mm-hmm. hunting, you name it. And at my core, when I started, I realized that the key to prosperity was simplicity. At some point, you know, we started teaching, you know, the land flipping mm-hmm. methodology that we created. And it was the same, you know, we were trying to teach tax liens, tax deeds. We had so many different you know, little um, spin-off programs, you know, and we're like, no, let's focus. When it came down to looking at profitability and, and going product by product line, we're like, no, the most uh, profitable product line that we have is this specific course in land. Let's focus, let's go all in on that. And the moment that we focus and simplified, you know, our team, our sales floor, our marketing was simpler because now we had one audience that we talked about, about one thing, I am a true believer in that. The more you try to complicate things, the harder it is, you know, the harder it'll, it'll become because now you have undivided attention basically in, in many different aspects versus focusing on one thing. Yeah, I'm smiling the whole time when you said about profitability and on focusing and everything because I'm, I'm a true believer about the, on that. Like, I mean, I talk to many guests and then the one that are successful are the one that basically say, I'm going to focus in this instead of following others. I think a lot of, especially those uh, who are beginner, the tendency is to follow others, you know, because the, uh, the other person is successful, you know, let's follow that. But they do not know the journey, right? They do not know what happened before they are successful. And, and I think that's what a lot of entrepreneurs, especially women, forget about it, right? Okay, yeah. so I want to touch on, I know that you went from zero to a million dollars in 18 months. 
So explain to me the, the $1 million, zero to $1 million, I'm assuming that is at the revenue level. So you basically purchase a land, like your first land, it's like $400 and then you sold it for 10K and then you purchase another one for 800 and then you sold it for a higher amount, right? So when you are purchasing asset, especially land or even any real estate property, the concept out there is that you need a lot of money and then you need to be able to manage your profit and then continue to grow your profit. So what process are you using to basically scale from zero to that seven figure in 18 months? Yes. So so we have developed a methodology where we are able to basically acquire property for anywhere between five to 25 cents on the dollar and then turn around and sell it either, you know, wholesale it, you know, for quick cash at 60% of market value, say 60, 70% of market value, or at a hundred percent of market value, but using seller financing. We basically mm. say, for example, I buy a piece of land for a thousand dollars, one acre property in the outskirts of town, and it has a market value of 10,000. And I could sell that for 10,000. And somebody says, I can give you a down payment for $2,000, you know, and now I have $2,000 in my pocket. And then they're going to make payments on the remainder $8,000 for the next five to 10 years. Yeah. So I recoup my cost because I paid for the piece of land $1,000 and now I'm charging interest on the remaining balance and I'm creating a note, I'm creating an asset and accounts receivable, basically, mm-hmm, notes mm-hmm, receivable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so uh, we have been able to do that by using direct mail. We've been able to find motivated buyers and sellers that basically uh, we send a letter to. And for example, just to give you a little bit of context in terms of a little bit of KPIs, for every, I would say for every 700 to 1,000 pieces of mail that we send out you know, mm-hmm. to motivated to sellers, to mm-hmm. owners of vacant land, mm-hmm. we are able to get anywhere between six and 15 callbacks, people calling us back saying, I'm interested in selling my piece of land. And of a hundred or so offers that we make, we are able to get uh, one to two acceptances hmm. on those. That's so, high. so that's the methodology. Now hmm. comes, okay, I've been able to, to purchase this property you know, mm-hmm. for very little money, five mm-hmm. to 25 cents on the dollar. And now I'm trying to sell it. When we were started trying to sell these properties, we were trying to sell them because this is pre Facebook, pre everything. We were trying to sell them using periodicals, magazine, you know, uh, newspaper ads, uh, magazine ads. Yeah. I would have somebody call me because, you know, and say, you know, I'm interested in this piece of property that I, you, you had a little, you know, posting on the newspaper and I would like to, I'm dating how old I am, I'm getting old. I, I would like to purchase this piece of land and we would have to print out and have like a little brochure to send out to them. And, you know, with, with a little bit about the area, photos of the specific piece of land, the markers, you know, what our terms for sale were hmm. and so on and so forth. And we thought, okay, we can continue doing this. And in the first year, my husband and I, we were able to sell 60 pieces of land. Mm-hmm. In the second year, we were able, and that, and that was like me doing this 100%. And then the second year, we did like about 100, 120 parcels. In our jobs, we were working 80 hours a week. And now we found ourselves in entrepreneurship in our own thing, working also 80 hours a week. And so we're like, we, we either need to shrink to have a life or we need to expand. And we decided to expand. And so for mm-hmm. us, it was, 
it was expansion. And, and what did we do? We tried to look for an outlet. We started thinking if we wanted to sell 200 pieces of land, we would have to continue doing what we're doing right now, only harder, faster. If we wanted to sell a thousand pieces of land, what would we have to do? You cannot do the same things that you're doing right now when you put such a big goal out there, a thousand pieces of land. We're like, shoot, in order to sell a thousand pieces of land, we, I don't even know how that would look, you know, in terms of like the capital, in terms of inventory to have the land available, the the team that we're going to need to hire and so on and so forth. And then somehow, you know, that kind of thinking got us going. And then somehow, like a few months later, or a few weeks later, we see an auction company also being advertised right next to where my, where my pieces of land were getting advertised. And I'm like, what if we started an auction? I think this is a key strate- strategic tension that needs to exist between something that gives you stability and something that gives you acceleration when it comes to revenue and profits. And for us, it was oh my gosh, this auction concept really worked. What if we could sell every quarter 200 pieces of land and auction them off and sell them using this auction concept? Because we knew that we could buy them very easily, that we could, you know, we could have the team to, to purchase them. And, and now the, the big bottleneck for us, how can we sell more than just 100 pieces of land every year? That was the bottleneck for us. So we're like, we need a big, big outlet that gives us stability and that gives us acceleration. And so the stability came from having a structured rhythm of this event happening once a quarter. Mm-hmm. So we would basically buy up in 90 days as much land as we can, and then we would sell it in one day, you know, at the big Phoenix Convention Center here. I hired the best, uh, one of the best um, auctioneers from the, auction, uh, you know, Barrett Jackson world with bitter assistance. We did marketing. We, we knew how to do marketing on newspaper. At that point, we did radio advertising, TV, billboards. So it's yeah. kind of like a product launch in the online yeah. world. Yes, it, right? it really is. It really is. You know, every 90 days, you're in launch mode. You're selling a piece of land. But I'm interested in this, Michelle, because in a land, again, like it's, it's a heavy capital. Like you have to purchase inventory. Your product yeah. is of land. It's, the land is the product and then it's inventory. And then if you're going to build an auction, right? If you're going to sell it in an auction, that means you need to have enough inventory to sell it in order to make profit. And then on top of that, you said you hire like an auctioner, like, you know, a bidders and everything. So there is a process around it. How did you make sure in that first auction that you made profit? So we, we make sure that we make profit when we buy. We are buying for 5 to 25% mm. of value. So we know that we have 75% already at least, you know, at the, at the least of profitability in, there, in anything that we sell. Because you really, you make your money when you buy. In real estate, you make money when you buy, not when you sell. When you sell, you only realize. Mm-hmm. You realize the gain. Now, here's the thing though. When you purchase, right, you purchase a piece of land or any real estate property, do you do your own valuation on what is that property going to be? And like, what are the tools that you are using there? Okay. Even from the beginning. So now we have even developed our own proprietary software to basically do all those calculations for us to really manage the process of 
you know, from the moment that we send direct mail mm-hmm. to the moment that we have a callback to the moment that we send an offer to an offer being accepted to an offer sent to title company for closing to closing happening. And in terms of finding value, it's basically looking at normally in real estate, you look at proximity, what other properties in the area have sold for, or if you are looking at an infill lot at a parcel that is inside of a city, say in a subdivision that is already built out, mm-hmm. you basically go about looking for a comparable value by, by looking at what the value of the homes in that, in that subdivision are. Wow. Okay. After 12 years in business, I get it that you have your own software, even like your own software, your own course. Because nobody out there is doing land. So we needed to create things for ourselves because everyone else is is going after homes or commercial. I mean, we are now also, as we have grown in our ability to entertain complexity and sophistication and so on, and also goals of moving from being earners to asset owners, you know, we've moved from even from the land asset class, not that we don't continue to, you know, to flip land, we continue to flip land. It will always be our number one preferred choice for, you know, for creating cash profits. But now we've moved also into apartment buildings. What we found is that, you know, apartments or commercial property in apartments of hundred plus units, we can continue holding that asset very much like my father and my mother continue holding on my ass, the asset in Honduras. And, and that will continue to spit cash flow whether we're here or we're not. Like a bus can run over Jack and myself and the assets that we have will continue to spit cash flow, you know, for our daughter to really moving into passive cash flow, what we like to call as forever cash, you know, cash that will come in forever. Here's the thing, though, in terms of land, right, like you don't have that capital expenditures to maintain the land, right? Not as much as residential property that you have to make sure that there is maintenance costs. You have to upgrade the roof. You have to upgrade the you know, like the, the garden, whatever it is, right? So there are... Before you purchase the property, there's an incredible amount of considerations and assumptions yeah. to make. You need to be very, very good at assessing what those capital expenditures are so that you can, from the beginning, estimate whether you're buying the property at a good rate. And so you kind of like go at preparing this model for a bank with all of these considerations in place and you modeling, you know, projecting for five years, you know, on year one, I can probably do this with the property. On year two, I can probably do this. On year three, I can probably do this. And yeah, it, and, and a lot of those considerations need to be done upfront to make sure that you're going to have the returns, the cap rates, and the return on investment that you are wanting to achieve for ourselves and for our investors. Definitely, I know what you mean. <laughs> so I get that. Now, I want to get into more on your uh, business level, your own business, right? So you mentioned to me, now you have three businesses, right? Property is one of them. How do you do a cash flow projection? What are your process to do a cash flow projection combining your property company, right? Buying land and then managing all this residential, uh, multi-level family property. And then you also have your online courses. What are your process, especially now in December, you are projecting for 2020. And do you do only 12 months? Do you do like longer than 12 months? What are your process? So on the apartment side, you definitely need to model five years out. You have to, from the get-go, you need to start 
modeling and budgeting for five years out and you compare every, you know, every month and every year projected versus actual. But what I do, what I do use is, and I want to call it quick and dirty, but I have a sheet that is, that shows me my global cash position across all three companies. Consolidate it. Exactly. So we have it, of course, by company, you know, everything that has to do with the land flipping, you know, I know what my cash position is in that. Anything that has to do with our educational business, our sales of courses, you know, I have projections for that as well. Mm -hmm. And anything that I have, you know, for the apartment sides, we have projections for that. Mm -hmm. And then I combine that, like you said, in a, in this one master mega spreadsheet. That's what I use. It's, you know, You're simple. using spreadsheet only. You're not using anything yeah. fancy software, are you? No, I'm using the fancy software for the property management of, and, and, you know, the fancy software for the flipping. The fancy software here, it's called um, Entreport, you know, our CRM for the educational business. And for uh, the apartment business, we, we use a different software as well. Each of our property management companies uses uses different software. Yeah. So I get all of this information and I consolidate it in what I call my global cash sheet, my global position. And it's basically looking at all our, all your bank balances, you know, mm -hmm. across all companies, across all accounts, what are all my cash balances? What are all deposits in transit? What are all my accounts receivable for the next 30 days, you know, just for the month, which, you know, in the apartment world is rent income. In the educational space, it's any courses that have been sold on, on terms, you know, with installments. I know, you know, how much we're going to receive in installments. I know what our sales floor produces every month on average in new sales. So I know what my new cash sales, you know, cash collected up front. I know what their cash collection rate is normally. So I can estimate basically, you know, what cash inflow is going to come from new sales from a specific month. And, and from the land space, you know, on the land notes, I also know what my accounts receivable for all the notes that we have outstanding yeah. are, or, you know, we know typically how many properties we sold, we sell for cash. Yeah. So I basically consolidate that and it all comes to what my total cash inflow is. Yeah. And then I do the same across all three businesses. What is my total cash outflow? All the expenses, you know, from operations, you know, from property taxes, from, uh, you know, your staff, financing, payroll, right? your financing, loan. debt, everything. Yeah. And I come with what my snapshot for cash for a specific period in time is. Mm -hmm. And then I can see, okay, uh, based on my burn rate, you know, and burn rate is nothing more than what is the sense. cost of your operation per month. And, and say, you know, if you have a burn rate of, let's say an example of $50,000 and say your global cash shows 200,000. Well, if every month you spend 50,000, that means you have four months worth of operations of cash in that specific time. And I don't know about you, but four months is awfully short to me. I like at a minimum six months and I am a little worried if I see six months, but I want to know that I can carry my operations for, for at least 12 months. Okay. You know, it's a, it's a rolling 12 month thing. Yes. It's a rolling cash flow that you keep projecting projecting I, I you know like I like to look at it like a quarter and then 12 months but it's rolling because you're yeah. including the actual and the projection now yeah. here's what I want to ask you uh, Michelle did you start this process from the very beginning when you started this journey or this is an evolution of managing your cash flow better like it's an evolution at the beginning it started 
you know, we only had one business and it was the land flipping business. And it was looking at, and I remember that for liability reasons, you know, our attorneys and our accountants suggested that we don't hold more than a hundred pieces of land in one LLC. So then that means that you have QuickBooks for each LLC, Mm -hmm. which means you have a bank account for each LLC, you know? So then I had, you know, I had this same sheet for all inflows and outflows based on, you know, in, in those days, it was like, it was three LLCs in which we were holding land, you know? And uh, now I have, <laughs> I have like 28 accounts that I, you know, that I need to be looking at. But in the beginning, it was three, you know, it was three that I was looking at. And, and I don't want to make this to sound complicated, but it was just three that I was looking at. at and so it, it, was, it was simple. And that's how, you know, it, it developed from being able to do it in, 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 one, in one business for one particular product, and now I just do it across this uh, across different companies. I can only imagine your budgeting process. <laughs> I know. It's, yeah. yeah. Because I worked for a property management company before, and yeah. then we, you know, the company had like hundreds of properties. The yeah. consolidation process and the cash flow management is so key because like yeah. you said, you need to understand your burn rate. And then because of all the capital expenditures and then the liability that you are holding, you need to make sure that you're going to be able to serve the people that you loan money from, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. Because that I, is your credibility. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to give you, for example, an example of like, for example, we had a big in the early days, you know, of the, of the auction days, you know, it, it, it usually took about $200,000 to put such an auction between mm. marketing mm. and, you know, buying property and, you know, getting the Phoenix convention center, you know, just renting one a venue, just one auction. Yeah. And, and we knew that we were able to produce cash, but that we were not able to produce enough cash because a good percentage of those properties, we are able to not just sell for cash, but like I said, using seller financing, mm-hmm. where they only give us a down payment. Yes. I knew that we were going to be able to do, you know, the first two auctions, but that the quarter three and quarter four, we were going to need more cash, more money. You know, it was so crucial for, for us or for me to have the ability to, to project what that deficit was going to be. And we were short, you know, $500,000. And yes. And so that's when we decided, okay, we need to, if we want to continue this space of growth, we need to look for outside financing. So we, we found a very good friend, you know, that was willing to mm-hmm. loan the money and use our accounts receivable that we had already yep. created, you know, from our first auction as collateral against those 500,000. So we could basically continue operating and, and be able to do, you know, auction three and auction four of, of each year. So yeah, it, it's kind of like you're factoring your receivable to receive the money upfront because you know you have future cash inflow. But again, I think it's going back to the key that you really need to understand your cash position, especially in your business. And then you have multiple businesses now, right? Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's even when you just first started with the auction, you already have, you know, you have to figure out how am I going to find finance the third and the fourth and then how am I going to do that okay I can I can be geeking out with you about finance like a a lot more but I know you have to go so you know I would love um what would be your best advice to other women Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs especially Mm -hmm. those people that are scared looking at their numbers because they just feel like 
they're not good at it. What would be your yeah. advice on that? I, I, I want to say that the reason why we're not good at it is because we don't know enough about it. Mm. So number one, I would say, educate yourself. Don't be scared. It has been proven now and time again that we women are much more fiscally prudent managers of our money than men out there, you know? So that's number one, get educated, just be all in, roll up your sleeves. There's nothing that is too complicated. I know that there's a few things that I may have mentioned that unless you're at a certain level, you might not come across. But at the end of the day, you have to think of your cash as what gives oxygen and momentum to your business. And so you always want to be using, I would have to say, this is my piece of advice, an offensive strategy and a defensive strategy. Okay. And the, and the offensive strategy is find that cash, you know, that, ca that 90 day cash flow driver, that product or service that you do really well. And, and basically figure out, can you create monthly promotions? Can you create quarterly promotions? Or do you need, do you need to bring, you know, people into your team to help you, you know, produce the sales so that the, your business doesn't depend just on you. You know, we start businesses for four freedoms, for freedom of money, time, relationships, and purpose. And if, and if you are the sole, sole revenue generator for your business, your business has no freedom of money. It has no, because if you, if something happens to you, everything else collapses underneath. So you want to very quickly look at what is your product and service and find other rainmakers. You know, I, my very first hire, if I was to start another business right now, is a salesperson. That's mm. my number one hire is mm. go find another person that is going to help you create the revenue, you know, from that flagship product oh, yeah. that, you know, that is going to become your cash driver every month or every quarter. Collect as much cash upfront as possible. Identify several outlets in which you can produce revenue and, and, and cash flow on a 90-day basis. And also very, very, very important, and I think that we forget, think about, because we talk about cash flow and outlets, but at the end of the day, these are people. What are three key relationships that I can develop for the quarter and ongoing that can help me develop the cash that I need to produce for my business? You know, it's relationships. And that's on the offensive side. On the defensive side, I would say, Go through your numbers and figure out where are you having fat. Cut out the fat. Basically, identify the fat, cut it out. Are there any subscriptions that you're that you are you know getting dinged on a monthly basis that you shouldn't be having? You know, cut out any unnecessary positions. If you find that there's an area of your business that has that you know like salaries that has the highest amount of cost for us, we we identified two places. It was our building for our office and salaries. So what did we do? We became a virtual company. Mm -hmm. I have a tiny office space for conference purposes at, you know, at a co-office space fair. And I went from paying $8,000 a month in an office space to paying $1,200 a month. And now everyone works from home and, and we come once or twice a week to a, you know, to a team meeting. Another area, like I said, was uh, salaries. Uh, we identify, okay, what, what are key positions that we can transition from a high cost structure to a low cost structure, such as, you know, perhaps finding VAs that can help us prepare all the listings, do all the mundane type of, types of tasks for a much lower rate than I would pay here in the U.S. And I'd rather have one person that supervises all of these, you know, here in the U.S. paid with U.S. cost structure for me yeah. and everyone else, you know, at a lower cost structure. So how can you transition from a higher cost structure to a low cost mm -hmm. structure, mm -hmm. cut out unnecessary expenses, mm -hmm. and then accounts payable. If you have accounts payable, 
and you have people that, you know, that give you net 15, can you call them and say, can you give me net 30 or net 45? You know, can I extend my accounts payable by 15, 30 days such that I don't have to, you know, so that my, so I can preserve cash, you know, for a longer period of time for the needs of our business. So I would say offensively, overwhelm yourself with revenue, defensively cut out the fat. I love that. I love that. That's a really good ad. So Michelle, where can people find you? You can go to landprofitgenerator.com. My husband and I are the co-creators of this methodology. If you want to you know, learn a little bit of, about land, you can also go to michellebosch.com. Yeah, you can find out there about our Facebook community, which is also Land Profit Generator Real Estate Investing Group. But on my website, michellebosch.com, you get a little bit about uh, you know, apartment investing, you get the podcast. I'm a host of a podcast as well called Inflow. And, and that's my passion is, is getting women, you know, to transition from being earners and, and business owners to being asset earners, you know, to be able to, okay, start allocating a little bit of my cash here so that if something happens or for retirement in the future or for tax benefits, you know, because real estate has this amazing advantage, especially when it comes to apartment investing, where you can use the depreciation from an asset, you know, such as a big apartment building and and have that go against your active income and and it shelters part of your income. And now you have much more cash to go and produce more. You know what I mean? You preserve your cash even more. So that, that would be it. Thank you so much, Michelle, for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Christina. Thank you so much for joining me here every week at Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for women's entrepreneurs. Head on over to christinashahli.com forward slash Her CEO Journey to subscribe for this podcast. And don't forget to tell other women entrepreneurs that this podcast is available for free in the podcast apps of their choice. Until next time, and let's continue to grow a business that fuels the life that you want to live.